The, yeah, We've 97 got every cup. We've yeah, got, got every, every mug. Turn yours around so you can see. Well, then I can't drink out of it. Well, turn the lid. <laughs> Good gracious, what's your IQ? <laughs> Welcome to Classical Etc. You're in the studio with Memoria Press. Welcome to Classical Etc. I am Paul Schaefer. And Why are you first? I just assumed I was going to be the temporary host again. What made you make that assumption? What Martin said last time that he, he would like to me to be the temporary host. Permanent temporary host. <laughs> yeah. uh, would you like to start, Tanya? No, I was just curious why you started. Oh, I okay. You could take it away. Um, I'm Tanya Charlton. And who are you? I'm Martin Cothran. All right, good. We all know our names. Um, today we are going to be talking about how we went about selecting our literature books in our curriculum. But I have oh, been preparing no. all week to tell Martin that I have been reading an Alexander Dumas book, The Black Tulip. The Black uh, Tulip. Another Black Dumas. Tulip. Now, is this because I noticed on um, Audible they have a, there's a whole bunch of sequels to the to the Three Musketeers. No, this is not a sequel. Okay, this is a separate so one? the three Three Musketeers. You have. Uh, 20 years later, which is the next book. And then there's uh, the Vicomte de Bretagne, uh, the, Vis the Viscount of Brittany, I think. Um, I don't know. I don't know what the English, I don't know I don't know what the English is uh, of that. But I haven't actually read those sequels of The Count of Monte Cristo. Mm -hmm. But The Black Tulip is actually a fairly thin book. Mm -hmm. And it, I think, was his last historical novel. And it is set. In the tulip craze in the Netherlands in the 1600s. Oh, why well, well, did you think of me? Because I had mentioned Be the tulip because craze. Because you don't like the Three Musketeers. Because you don't like Three Musketeers. <laughs> um, or rather, you liked it, but you had to trudge through it. Or I don't know what your actual... Oh, I thought it was because of the tulip thing. Because I this whole... bit, This whole... Like, not... Uh, uh, Bitcoin. What's, uh, what's the generic term for... Um, uh, cryptocurrency. Thank you. Uh, cryptocurrency. Um, my whole... My whole I, every time somebody brings up cryptocurrency, I think of the, the tulip craze because it's just so, it's, it's a great analogy to what, mm -hmm. you know, where, where everyone starts to value something that doesn't really have the value that you, you know, because they just went crazy on tulips and they were hugely expensive. Mm -hmm. And then the bottom fell out of the market. And of course, this is what we, exactly what we saw with cryptocurrency. And um, which we've seen with all kinds of things. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. Yeah. yeah the tulip I mean, that's always been kind of the, the, the analog mm -hmm. to all those kinds mm -hmm. of things where we, uh, the market just values something way above its real value. Yeah. But it's, I, I enjoyed it. I mean, I read it in, uh, I mean, uh, less than a week. Uh, is there such a thing in nature as a black tulip? Well, no, the whole, the whole like driving force of the book is that one of these like consortiums for the tulips mm -hmm. And in the 1600s, gives a hundred thousand florin prize. I assume it's like dollars, right? And so they're currency for anybody who can develop a black tulip. Oh, I see. Yeah. Because it is not something that's found in nature, and so you have a guy who's working on it, and then his neighbor's jealous, and you know, there's he he goes he gets thrown in prison. It's a whole thing. It's a whole thing. As long as it's shorter <laughs> than the three musketeers, significantly that, shorter. Recommendation right but there. was did you like it? Oh, it was great. Yeah. It was great. And I think there's things like in in the Count of Monte Cristo. I don't recall Dumas ever making like aside points about the morality or ethics of certain things. Mm -hmm. But in this book, he does. It was really interesting. 
because he he would make it so short that he kind of felt like he had to put that in there because he couldn't he didn't have the time to weave it into the whole story. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I I I greatly enjoyed it. Because Hugo does that, I noticed in Les Miserables, he'll go off on these side tangents explaining some aspect of society or something, which people complain about, and I find I found at least as interesting as the narrative. Yes, and but those those side tangents can be long. They're long. Whereas whereas this, I'm talking about like he might have a paragraph there about the way providence works or mm-hmm. the way you know it was. It, it, I thought it was really good. It's really good. Okay. I, I would I would recommend it. Okay. So, uh, Tanya, what are you reading? <laughs> it's the same. I, it's okay. I've got probably 120 pages left of Demon Copperhead. I've said this on how many podcasts now? Um, because I just can't get it finished but um i'm i'm close and i'm not i my opinion of it is the same right now it may be different next week after i finished it but right now it's the same but i'm also reading um the reading life by c.s lewis which is the book that we're giving the faculty (laughs) um and and so i just wanted to make sure it was still you know that it was okay i'm sure it is sure but um, and then I'm reading um, Winnie the Pooh because we're uh, getting ready to publish a study guide for Winnie the Pooh. So I need to reread the book so I can help go back through the study guide and make sure it's what we want it to be. So I am reading other things, but Demon Copperhead is still. It's that's kind of your bre- your your the, major major thing. It's the thing one right I'm now. trying to. It, when you finish Demon Copperhead, have you decided what you're going to read? Are you going back to War and Peace? Oh, I I feel like I don't want to go back to War and Peace during Christmas. So I may wait until after Christmas to go back British to British murder it. mysteries? Maybe so. You're something very light because my husband is a minister and Advent is very difficult. Yes. But this is our last Advent as ministers. And then... Next Advent, I may not do anything but sit in a chair and read. Mm. That's, that's, no activities that's at all. Right there. Mm. Yeah. So, so I don't know. So, uh, But maybe a, maybe a murder yeah. mystery. Oh, I haven't we'll, read one for a bit. We'll check in. Okay. We gave you enough grief about that recently at some point. You did Last week. Was it last week? Mm. It may have been the podcast yes. that actually didn't. We, we didn't, oh, no. didn't okay. get the audio yes. on. Okay, so. well. You if know. it was, you did give me grief. Yeah. Well, um, one day, one day we'll convince you to read something other than murder mysteries. Mm-hmm. Um, why? But why? <laughs> I do read other things, but uh, that's, my that's my choice. That's my choice. I think it was last week. I shouldn't really be talking because I I've really dove headfirst into some modern popular audiobook yes, that I'm not did. going to I'm not going to deign to mention. Uh, Martin, what are you reading? Well. Um, Here's my problem. Uh, I'm, we've just recently moved. And I have about 100 to 120 boxes of books. And I tried to take out the ones I thought I would need <laughs> <laughs> separately and make them, move them up and, you know, it's to, so they're easy to get to. And, of course, none of the books I need are in those books. They're all in these boxes. I do not know which ones they're in yet. And I'm uh, just, you know, I'm having to build bookshelves in the new house to... Mm have some of these things, so I haven't gotten them out yet. And I and you can't find and anything. I can't find the ones I need. When you put them up, you should have organized them in the boxes. Well, Were I know they where organized? they came from. They're marked for because we had to hire people to box them. 
You had that many books? Yes. <laughs> Where uh, were they? Were they on bookshelves? Well, yeah, I had some in my library. But were they in some kind Were they in an order? In an outbuilding, huh? Were they in any kind of order? They were, but they weren't marked in order. I would have, mm. it would have been just as much trouble for me to box the books, you know, to, as, as to tell people. Yeah, you what. used to come, after you would clean out your garage, you would come bring me old books and say, uh, we should think about publishing yes, this. Yes, right. I've got, I've got more coming. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so what you're saying, Martin, is that the time that you would normally devote to reading, you've been devoting to organizing your books. Well, that's a little bit true, yes. Um, but... No, the the time I have been spent, I have spent moving the last two months. And when you move right. out of a house that's twenty five years old, there's, there's all a lot this of stuff. stuff there, and there's stuff you say, in the stuff you completely forgot about, mm-hmm. and all this business. So it's just that I have, I have, you know, for writing and stuff, I have needed book my uh, reference right. in a book that I now cannot find, and it's really aggravating. So I'm trying to get up these bookshelves as soon as I can, so that I can get at these books. Um, but I, but for work, I, you know, Dan and I. Uh, have have had on the schedule for podca- for our podcast at uh, uh, Memorial College, um, our Dust Jacket podcast, uh, we want to do From Dawn and Decadence by Jacques Barson. Oh, yes. That's on my list, too. Yeah, and I have that out. So that I can get to. And I've started reading it again. And it just, I, I have read like uh, probably half of it before. Mm. And I'm going back, but I'm going back through it. And you know, those books that are, You've read them before, but you go back through, and it's like I don't remember this, right? And so, uh, and that you, you, I, my theory is that you could read a book, a, a good book, book like this, and then go back and immediately start over, and it would appear like a, a new book. It's true. Just on, it's on, true. I think that's true of just about anything. Not something as simple as a British murder mystery, <laughs> um, but but I do think for more difficult, like when I reread a book like Mere Christianity. Mm-hmm. I find all kinds of new things. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's familiar, mm-hmm. but I really do. Part of it, I think, is the perspective that you, you know, you're coming at it maybe from a different perspective, mm-hmm. a different age. But part of it is just there's so much. Mm-hmm. So well, do you, so you like it again. Oh, absolutely. It's worth it's reading. Just, just, it's one of those necessary, if you want to understand Western civilization, this is another book. If I'm putting my list together, of the 10, 20 books that you need to read to understand um, Western civilization. Mm-hmm. This is one of oh, them. Oh wow! Right, very, very much so. Uh, in fact, one of the things we need to do. Write this down. Uh, we need to do a show on what books would you read again? Oh yeah, what books that would you be think good. You should read again because then we would all go back. Are you now our, the secretary too? Just, Apparently, he told me I write just, it down. I just I just this is a rare. It's a yeah. rare episode where I actually have paper in front of me. Yeah. So he's always telling uh, me what to do. I'm going to tell what him what to do. books. What was it? What <laughs> what books would you read, read that you, again? That you would reread. Would you recommend? Would you read again? I think that that'd be, yeah. um, and this would, this is, this is definitely one of them. And uh, the thing about, I have talked about Barzan on this podcast before and have said that he is um, one of those uh, essential education writers. He writes a lot on education and then just writes history and intellectual history and all these other things. And he also wrote books on how to write clearly mm. and he practices that. He's such a good writer. It's just crystal clear. Well, I need to get to, that back out after yeah, I need, finish War and Peace. Yes. Have so, you restarted War and Peace? Uh, no, I, I I went and read The Black Tulip partly because I wanted to take a dig at Martin and partly because it's what my wife gave to me for St. Nick's Day. Mm. And so, yeah, I, I was thinking I was going to pick that up again. Are you going to read it over Christmas break? 
It just probably, doesn't feel like a Christmas break. I don't. To me. I am. I am very scared that I'm not really going to have much time over Christmas break at all. Oh yes. And so I might. That's why I'm going to have to. I'm going to have to see like if I think I'm actually going to have time. I would do War and Peace because I just want to crank it out. Right. I don't want it to drag on yeah. for months and months. So I'm, I'm afraid I'm, we're going to drag it on. But the, the weather has changed. We have. Um, it's cold enough now to have fires in our fireplace. Mm-hmm. Uh, my wife likes the house cold, so it's got to be really cold to have a fire in the fireplace. Oh, you mean, okay. And right. and so, like, if it's 40s, I can't light a fire. Oh, my gosh. It has, it has to really be cold. Well, I've gone from a wood stove, which, you know, you got to get the wood, you've got to chop the wood, you've got to bring the wood mm-hmm. in, you've got to start the fire, you got to, to a button that I push. Oh, for a gas? For a gas <laughs> fire in the new house, and it really is. I have a wood uh, furnace type thing outside. It's, it's, a, it's a brick uh, oh, like a fireplace. pizza oven kind of thing? Yeah, okay. uh, which is really cool. Then that 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 yeah. satisfies my need for a wood okay, fire. Okay, because okay. you know you do know those gas fires where you push a button are fake, right? <laughs> they actually no, they will pump out some heat. They pump out. Oh no, some they do heat. pump out heat. And they in do. fact, the ones that we but the not, one we have is supposed mm-hmm. to be very fuel efficient. And everything. But it is, you know, I, Brian said, you know, at the at the old house uh, that they lived in before the one Brian Lowe, mm. that the one the house they lived in before they had a gas stove. And at the new one, they have the wood fireplace. And he says, we've done the wood fireplace maybe four or five times. Whereas with the gas stove, we, it was on every night. Right. You yeah. know, and there, that is, there's truth to that. Yeah, yes. but, but what, what I have found now, I, I do the wood fireplace. I like the wood fireplace. I have lots of wood that I have access to, but um, when we light that fire, it really, because the whole house starts to get colder then that room, that room becomes the room you want to be in. Right. The and, That's yeah. right. Right. And that, and so what we will do, and the only things like that room is only set up with nice chairs for reading. It is, you know, and Sarah can do a puzzle, but there's not, there's, there's, you know, we're not going to be watching anything there. We're not going to be playing games. It's reading. So if you want to be warm, you're going to be reading. It's actually quite nice. That is well, nice. I have to be, you have to be warm when you're reading. Mm-hmm. And that is, you know, when I, when we were looking at houses, I, I, there's several questions. Well, there's one basic question I ask myself, which is, where can I be comfortable in this house? Where do I see myself sitting down and reading a book or whatever? And in this house, it's it's beside that fireplace. You know, mm. you, th- there's the hearth, right? My front. In, in when the weather's warm, there's the front porch, and then there's the back porch, and I could see myself being comfortable in any, in of, those any three of those places. Spot. That's really important. It, but you know yeah. what? We need a moderator I'm, because I, we are we're totally we off. But so I, I am topic. just so appalled by you using a button to start your fire. Anyway, <laughs> it's, 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 it, it, it does seems, bother me. It, it does, does seem unmartin-like, doesn't yes, it? Yes. Okay. I mean, All we right. could just. So, so where do you read? This is another good. Write that down. Where, 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 where do you read? Covered that. We covered that just now. Where do you read? No, there's more talk about that. I, okay, but, I have but I'm places that this, I read. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna move us on. Okay, but you don't know, you don't want to know where I read. Sure. Okay. <laughs> where do, you, where do, where do you read, Tanya? Here. here thank you, Martin. Where I, do you read? I read on my sun porch, which is yeah. air conditioned and heated. Uh, yeah. So now I read, I read on the screen porch in the summer, but I read on the sun porch the rest of the year, and every morning at five, I read. On the sun porch, or I read in bed, but that doesn't go well because I'm so tired at the end of the mm-hmm. day that I don't last very long, and then I fall asleep. So, 
half the year when you're reading though on your sun porch, you're in the dark. Or more than half the year. Oh, more than half the year because I get up at ten to five, so it's, it's really a month that. <laughs> I mean, it's never. It's dark. It's always dark. Mm. Now, some when I go out to walk, I have about a month in June when it gets light as I'm walking at five. But you, you read, then you walk. Yes. So you... I'm yes because I have my coffee first. So I read for half an hour and then I start my day. Okay. But on the on the screened in porch, I just have to turn the light on. So I'm mm. just lit up in my neighborhood <laughs> on my screened in porch. I just, I just, only person up. I don't go out to my sunroom unless there's light. It doesn't feel. Oh, no, I have to turn the lights on. It just on. doesn't feel, yeah. without the sun out, it doesn't feel like I'm in the right mm. spot. But that's just me. Where do you read? Oh, by your fire. I read by the fire. You've got yes. a specific room yes. for reading. Now, in the summer, I will go out. I'll go more out to the sunroom because it'll be dark until I go to, or be light until light. I go to bed. Well, my sunroom, literally, I mean, the only thing in it is a bookcase, a, the chaise that I read on, and a little table for two people where yeah. I could do a puzzle or we mm-hmm. eat out there some. Yeah. But that's all that's in there. So it's it a, really it's is like dedicated. A dedicated space. Yes. You drink yeah. coffee when you read? Yes. I do too. I do. I drink coffee. In the morning, not at night. I drink coffee. <laughs> yes, I know you do. <laughs> I know you do. Okay, well, let's move on. Um, since Tanya says we need to have a moderator. So today- I'm just thinking the three of us together is probably not efficient. Yeah, who knows? Maybe we won't have themes ever again. We'll just- <laughs> Chat. Chat. Meander. I mean. Well, that's, I mean, that's what it is in the office, right? It is. It is. So, uh, speaking of the office, we have made literature selections for our curriculum. Yes, we have. Now, I could ask this question directly to Tanya, but I would actually rather ask this question to Martin. I would rather of, ask any question of me. Oh, please. <laughs> but who wants to hear your see, Martin, answer? See, see, Tanya is the curriculum director, so she should know this. But Martin, I'm curious what you would say if somebody asked how we went about choosing what literature we put in what grade. Were you there when we actually made the selections? Yeah, well, well that's, I'm the one. <laughs> that's interesting that you ask me that because she changed it every single year. She would come to me and say, this is the final Cheryl. curriculum. Yeah. Cheryl Lowe, this is the final curriculum. And then the next year she'd come again and I've got, I, I just finally started stapling them one on top of the other. And, <laughs> and I would pull it out and say, okay, this is the final. And she would see the big stack where she changed something every year. And she would say, yes, this is the final. This is the final. I remember coming to your desk a few years doing oh, that. Over and over. Yes. But she didn't change much. That's the thing is she really, mm-hmm. we're still teaching the majority of the books that we are teaching now mm-hmm. were in the very beginning. Mm-hmm. So no, I wasn't there when the fir- the very first final curriculum um, was. Right, so back to me. What made, were, you were you were you there? <laughs> so what were, what was the rationale? How did y'all make that decision? Were, have, were you part have, of that decision, or were you just there? I have no ideas. I desk Tanya. <laughs> she, she, I mean, Cheryl did it, but she read everything in the world. Well, I mean, th- these were all, I mean, the, the books we picked, and in a way, I, I look at our curriculum and I think those are obvious picks. Well, who would, who would not have that book in a curriculum? Are we just talking literature or everything? Uh, I was specifically focused on literature, literature. but we've That's what I was established thinking. we can meander. <laughs> yes, yes, we can. Uh, yeah. Uh, 
you know, who would who would not include Charlotte's Web? Right. You know, and who, that's and that was a lot of her decision was there right. were books. We have this canon of literature that all students need to read mm-hmm. so that they can have an educated conversation with other people who have read those books. Right. And so so the, in a way they chose themselves. I mean, she Charlotte's right. Web, Little House in the Prairie. But there were some that were not obvious picks. What would what would you say was not an obvious pick? Um well, the Trojan War to me I was not mm-hmm. an obvious pick yeah. until I realized why she did it mm-hmm. to, you know, to prep the students, how important it was for them to know that story and to know the characters before they read Homer because she mm-hmm. was going to make them read Homer in the seventh grade. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, that to me, the Moffats was not was gonna, an obvious pick to of. me, yeah, but I just reread it recently and it is just such a gem and it is so important i think in our curriculum well and can you sorry can you expound on why well it's just a it's a charming little book and um the the other two books in that year are country charlotte's mm-hmm. web and farmer boy and then you get the moffats which is a small town community it's about community and about a family that's struggling but they are always cheerful and upbeat and optimistic. And um, it just is perfect for an eight or nine-year-old child. Well, it was when mm-hmm. people led real lives and it was before the internet and it was, you know, people, right. people That's, associated, oh yes, it was people all, socialized. Yeah. And, you know, Cheryl used to talk about um, making sure that, that children understood the old neighborhoods that, mm. you know, and I, I've, I've lived in one what I would say, uh, one house that I would call a real neighborhood, you know, where the kids are are coming home right. from the school bus and they're playing out in the street and they're riding their bicycles and all that. So she she loved the Betsy Tacy books. Oh, I do uh, too. For that, partly yes. because that was the old neighborhood. Yes. And and I think the Moffats does that too. There's it just, does, but on a higher level. Yeah, on the, a higher the level. The thing about the Betsy Tacy books is they are charming also, but they are about such young children yes, right. that they don't young children that couldn't read on that mm-hmm. level yet that yes. they don't really fit except as a read aloud maybe yeah, right and we read them very young our, our kids and my, my wife those are among the books that she treasures the most are the Betsy I, books. I think so too yeah. well on that on that note about sort of difficulty I mean does does the Lexile level come into what we're doing? It does. And she did now she didn't check the Lexile level while she was choosing the books. But uh, several years ago she did go back and look through all of them and get the Lexile level so she knew especially for Storytime Treasures which is why she Which is first grade. Yes. So she she did make a few changes there, like she moved Ping to the end because it was such a higher Lexile level. So um, she did pay attention to it, but it really was after the after right. the fact. And she chose. So she, I mean, she was choosing things more for their content, and then saying, "Okay, when is the most appropriate time for a child to read this?" Yes, rather she, than saying, "I'm looking for something for first grade." What first grade stuff is out there? Absolutely. Because she needed to get these this canon of books in. And so she had to figure out where to put them in order to do it. And like putting Robin Hood and King Arthur together and having, you know, that the the legend, the genre of legend, um, 
was important. Everything had a purpose and a reason, well, and it and was all up, thought out over and over and yeah, over. You bring up Robin Hood and King Arthur, and so I've got the question: Do you, or or why don't you, um, uh, order your books so that? Each year deals with a particular historical period, tying it to history. And I have always told people, um, I do not believe in that. We do it just sort of de facto. That was with the a Middle coen- Ages. That was a coincidence. Because they all ha- happen to be books written for a certain age. That's correct. It, you're far better. Um, you're far better off uh, in terms of uh, of of what your kids need of having them read books that are written for their age level, not some artificial history thing that you have imposed on your reading selections. Well, and then you're going to lose mm-hmm. your canon because right. you're going to be reading books that aren't as necessary. How many books are there mm-hmm. right. that, are, mm-hmm. that are set in ancient Roman times that would be more valuable than Robin Hood or mm-hmm. Charlotte's Web? Mm-hmm. So you would, you would be paying a big price to stick Mm -hmm. those books in there. Now, my goal would be eventually to have a supplemental set of books that students could independently read. Like we have the American stories, Mm -hmm. American history little sets. Mm -hmm. It would be nice to have a little set because there are some good books, Mm -hmm. but they're not, they're not books that everybody will have read. And and they're not books that we're going to take uh, dedicated literature class time. Absolutely. to, To read those. That's right. That's right. So that was a big part of it. And our and and some of it do, we don't read we don't even study history chronologically. And there's a reason <laughs> yeah. for that too. Yeah. Yeah. Is because we're doing all the famous men books, but we're doing Rome first. And that was um that was deliberate mm-hmm. because um back in the day there was I mean everybody was doing history chronologically and then you would repeat it chronologically and then you would repeat it chronologically and she never she never uh, intended to do that because Rome she said was so much easier for students and that you're if you're sticking Greek history in with young students first because it came first chronologically then they're not going to get near as much out of it because it's not age appropriate for them Roman history was very simple. It was one empire. It rose, it fell. The characters were noble Mm. um, in a way. Now, we do then go to the Middle Ages, which is chronological, but Mm. then we go back to Greece because we're getting ready to read Homer. I mean, Mm. it's just... Yeah, there needs to be reasons other than pure chronology that you select them for a certain age. Right. And and Cheryl was was very... That was a big theme with her, and I... So she wrote an article about it, and I titled it, Why History is Not Chronological. I should have uh, known that was like, your title. <laughs> that title has bugged me. It was coming to mind when you were talking, Tanya, and <sighs> I, I should have I should have seen that coming too. But the also, I think there's an educational point here too of that if your literature mashes up with your history in that year, let's say you're you, you've got Greek Greek history and your literature mashes up with that, you're never going to see anything that makes you call back to mind uh, anything in the American history time period, right? Or anything in the medieval history time mm-hmm. period. Whereas if your, if your literature is set in different time periods in the history you're studying, then y- every year you're, you're calling that back to memory, which is going to make it stick further, right? Rather than just saying, we're going to cover this three times, four years apart. 
but every year there's going to be something because of because we 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 study stuff holistically. If you do that and you're you're going to do everything chronological, then you're only going to get to American literature, which is very late in what high school. I mean, well, you repeat. No, it's every four years because no. they they would do ancient. Would they do oh, Greece, yeah, Rome, the rotation, medieval, yeah. American, modern? American but still, modern. there's oh there's going to be books that are written for a certain age that you're going to delay until the child is older. Oh, sure. And there are books that are not appropriate for a younger child. Well, that's a big older child. You're going to have them reading at a time content. that they don't need to read those. Content is really a big factor here. Mm-hmm. And and we have a whole lot more from um from like renaissance and after to read than we do prior to it right mm-hmm. and so if if we're if we are reducing the time we have to read say the the american modern stuff to only 3 years in our entire curriculum right. you do not get to any like almost any of the important stuff right mm-hmm. and then for high school, for middle school and high school, at that point, students are reading at a 13 plus level. They can read anything. So at that point, you really just have to make sure they're exposed to the authors they need to be exposed to in the canon of great literature. And a lot of those are British, but we also expose them to Russian literature and to American, but really the British lit is dominant. Mm-hmm. There, just as it, I mean, Shakespeare, we're, you know, doing Shakespeare from middle school all the way through every single year. And I wanted year. to make a remark about the Lexile levels, too, because you cannot slavishly follow that. I mean, they don't, it's not something like um, you know, John Steinbeck, for example, has a very low Lexile level. But what he's talking about <laughs> oh, is right. very mature. That's right. So you can't just take the Lexile level no, and say this. You've got to be careful. Yeah. yeah, very much so. And the 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 it, it that's just it's such a trap. I mean, I want to go off on standardized tests now, where <laughs> where you know where parents will see my kid reads at a thirteenth a thirteen mm. grade plus level, and they just want to put anything in front of them, right? Turn them and loose. They can be seventh grade Ooh. able to read that. Yes. And so you, you do have to be careful about that. But that's, you know, and that's the difficulty of trying to, if you're trying to nurture your kids on good literature and, but they're a voracious reader, right? How do yes. you, how do you, how do you filter that? You've got to get, you've got to get some good book lists. You've got to get help from people like us mm-hmm. who, you know, are just immersed in it all the time and mm-hmm. know Pretty much. And then if somebody recommends a book to me, I'm going to read it before. Now, Martin keeps bringing me books and saying we need to publish this, and he's never read them. So I hand them back to him and tell him, come back after he's read them. (laughs) He never does. (laughs) (laughs) But, but, you know, I I also want to say, like, when we, when we, sometimes people say, oh, you only want your kids to read four books a year. No, we want them reading a whole lot more than because that. Because that w- that's what we have in the curriculum. That's, that's right. right. That's what that's they're right. studying. Yeah. But they all have, all of our kids have backpacks with their own book that mm-hmm. they are reading that is yeah. their own choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I is, mean, a lot of it is just, uh, it's, it's, it's inculcating a habit in them of reading, which I think our curriculum helps to do. Well, we're trying to teach them to contemplate right. what they've read. Right, and to think about it. 
um, to take it seriously. So I found, you know, with my grandchildren, all my grandchildren, and, and they started to read like before they were one year old, they were with books. They're, they're around books. Oh yes. Um, and so I had my, uh, my oldest grandson who's 10 years old goes, goes here to school and I, I'm, putting out all my books on the, sh- as I'm building the shelves. Right. Well, he, he went down there and I had all of my, my children's books are in the basement and the, on the new shelves down there. And he wants, he came up, he said, can I arrange your books? Oh, <laughs> he was like really excited about it. He wanted to arrange these books. And I said, and I, and I said, well, what would you do? And he says, and I said, yeah, I think you could do that. And he almost jumped up and down in joy that he was going to be able to arrange these books. So how was he, what did he choose? What do you mean? alphabetical by oh, well, genre. I told him, I said, I want them, I told him how I wanted them arranged. I went by subject. So I got a lot of Westerns, you mm. know, and um, uh, books about <clears throat> country life. And, you know, so we, we settled on some subject distinctions and within those subject distinctions by the name of the author. Okay. And so, so this is like, he's having so much fun <laughs> doing this. This is crazy. So mine are American on one bookshelf, mm-hmm. British on another oh, bookshelf. What? Yes. All murder mysteries. <laughs> yes. The murder mysteries. Yeah, murder mysteries is the one category. No. The murder yeah. mysteries are all by themselves in a bookcase in my bedroom. Mm-hmm. But in the den is American in one bookcase, British in another. And then the other is like classical, like Homer, Thucydides. Are, all the, are, it's, are all, is all of this fiction? Or some uh, of this nonfiction? No, no. Some of it is nonfiction. And then, um, then I've got a shelf that has all everything, like the Russian, all the international, not British, mm-hmm. not American, but everything else. Russian, the silence book mm-hmm. that was mm-hmm. Japanese. Japanese. Yeah. When I finish my um, other bookshelves, I'm going to put the blue books. In Kristen Lavernstad. And the red books <laughs> in another area. And the yellow books. I know somebody that did that. <laughs> I'm sure you do. You know, now, now y'all so are making are you, me, me feel bad. Are yours because, organized? Well... And on my on on in the reading room in the what we call the library the front room the living room where we have our fires and read on those shelves yeah I've got like a philosophy theology section like a history section uh, fiction a fiction section I've got oh, the the main the main shelf actually is the great books a complete side of the great mm. books and then I've got like a farming section and then like the lower levels are the sh- the kids books but then when I, once I read something then I put it in the basement. And I have mm. no organization in the basement. It's oh wow, you, you need know, to get down there. I, I, send Soren. I, I need to uh, come up with some. Sort now my of, theology is all together, regardless of nationality. <laughs> but <laughs> I've just got you know a shelf of theology that yeah. has you know Bible studies too mm-hmm. and things from church. Yeah. But everything else is literally American, British, other. <laughs> Well, in nonfiction, I'm, well, I'm classical stuff. I'm not surprised. Yeah, I uh, yeah, I don't know what to do with this. I don't know what to do with this. But anyway, um, do we have any other thoughts about how we how we choose our books? Well, I mean, if somebody asks, like, how do you determine, and just in terms of quality, the quality, how do you determine whether a book is good? Well, and we all have different opinions about that. Right. Like I don't, as I've made clear in the past, I'm not a big Tolkien fan. I'm not a fantasy genre fan, but 
I certainly recognize the value and the fact that he was a brilliant author. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you have to take all of that in. You can't just say just because you don't, I don't like the great Gatsby. I'm, um, it, I don't like Wuthering Heights. That's but, that's a gr- great point with regards to aesthetic appeal. Right. But I f- see absolutely see the value of them. And I've read Great Gatsby three times thinking, what am I missing? Well, you know, because I think this is why people will ask, uh, like a homeschooling mother wants a list. Mm. Because she wants to know what you can't know because you haven't read them, so you right. have to rely well, that's on somebody right. else's authority. And I did, but I also was in a book group with some really smart ladies when my kids were little, and we read all kinds of things. And I became how many people still read Trollope? I'm a huge Trollope mm, fan I am too, by the way. Yeah. But people don't really read Trollope that's, anymore. That's Anthony reading, Trollope, who was uh, probably contemporaneous with Jane Austen, mid middle nineteenth century Dickens. Yeah, the yeah. Dickens era. And he writes about the English, the life in the English countryside. And he's kind of like George MacDonald, really. Yeah, well, he's, he's kind of, who, who does, he's, he's a little bit like, um, gosh, I had, I had, I had two authors, which I, I can't remember now, but, but he's, they're very sort of, they don't, they take their time. They're very rural. They're large books. Yes, they're very big. Yes. Yeah, they're very big. Yeah, I'm a big trolley. Yeah. But, so you're, you say you're, your friends who were in this discussion group. Oh, well, they, so we read quite a bit together. Mm-hmm. That was really, you know, that really just opened our eyes to really good authors and good literature because when you read with somebody, it then you can do harder things mm-hmm. better. Right. And so you Absolutely. learned, you learned what books were good because your friends. And I'd read, knew. right. And I had read, um, well, and I mean, one of them was Wendell Berry's daughter, so she yeah. had been forced to read a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so she um, also, you know, kept mentioning books that we needed to read mm-hmm. that were yeah. all very good. Because you know, I'm looking at the bookshelves here, and we've got the the Great Books of the Western World series, and those are works that uh, have been passed down people have read them over generations and generations and so there's sort of a judgment of history on those books mm-hmm. we're relying on the authority of numerous generations right. back as to what is great and that's that's about as good as you can get but you get to more contemporary literature you know most children's literature has been written in the last you know 60 70 years probably and so we don't have that judgment for those and yet there are certain classic works that have kind of risen to the top in, in a, an organic way. Uh, we used, there was a book called Honey for a Child's Heart, yes, which had a list in the back. And we were, that's probably of all the lists that we had, we relied most on that in terms of what literature to read. You could children. trust it. You could mm-hmm. trust it. And and now I think, you know, we've gone and picked the, the best of the best for our curriculum, but there is all the, there are all those other books there's so much more out school. there. That's absolutely. Yeah. And so, uh, uh, do we do we actually have a list of it, the ones we recommend? Or it's your list. We've you, got your list on our website oh, somewhere. Good. I don't yeah. know well, where it is. And we've got. I, I think isn't it like we've got his list for boys, Lee's list for girls. I don't know where those are though. They're on our website somewhere. Yeah. yeah. And then um, we will put okay. them in the show notes. Yeah. Right. Well, my mine is. Uh, 
uh, Martin's Essential Boys book list. I know. Well, but you've got a, re- a general list, too, that starts when they're little, yeah. that goes all the way up, mm-hmm. that yeah. you used to tell people to email me to get. <laughs> well, now that you remind me of it, I'll tell them again. No, please. No, now about. it's on the website. <laughs> they put it on the website because especially the time you did it in a podcast and people three years later were still asking me for your list. <laughs> I could not believe you literally put my name out there with my email address yeah. in a podcast. I thought that was uh, pretty effective. It was very <laughs> effective for you. <laughs> I, I will say also in regards to reading in literature that one of the sort of the hallmarks of what we do is we get out of phonetic readers very, very quickly. Yes. And that... Because we don't purely want our literature study to just be improving your lexile level, improving your your decoding ability, but we want you to actually start asking the question, now what of it? Right? And we can do that because, of, I think because of Cheryl's philosophy on phonics, that we need to dispense, you know, people rush through and, and introduce a lot of things in kindergarten, and her theory was that if you spend two-thirds of your kindergarten year on short vowels and CVC words that they are going to master those and then everything else just comes easier and they don't hit a glass ceiling and it works. Mm -hmm. So we can go into first grade reading Little Bear, which is an I can read it book, but then after that, Caps for Sale, Miss Rumpheus, um, Make Way for Ducklings, regular real books that are actual mm-hmm. literature mm-hmm. and not silly little phonetic stories. Yeah. 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 Well, um, I now have a, a list of podcast topics, <laughs> um, authors that I've never heard of, like Anthony Trollope. And what? so I'm, I'm walking away with things um, to do and to read. And so hopefully, hopefully so we've provi- gotten an education. Here. I have gotten an education. Hopefully we've provided you are welcome. as well. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this episode of classical, etc. You can find us on Spotify, Apple music, or wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to check out all the other shows on the Memoria press podcast network. This has been classical, etc. Thanks for being here. And we'll see you again soon. You've been listening to the Memoria Press Podcast Network, providing a classical Christian perspective on the world of education. To learn more about Memoria Press, visit us at memoriapress.com. To connect with us, find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.